Always remember to walk on over to Walters, the biggest stars in the game on the biggest TV in Navy Yard. Make your reservation now to watch Juan Soto in the Home Run Derby on Monday night and watch Juan, Trey Turner, and Max Scherzer in the All-Star Game on Tuesday night. WaltersDC.com slash reservations. While you're there, book your table for the Padres series as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swinging a high fly ball off a breaking ball deep left field. Back on the warning track is Parra with room, and he dropped the ball! He dropped the ball! Racing for third is Flores. He will get there, and the bases will be loaded. It hit Parra right in the glove of the warning track. Bases loaded, two out, the set. The kick in the 3-1. Swing and a bouncer slowly hit up the third baseline. It will stop on the grass for an infield hit. A run scores, and the Giants lead 3-0. Lester brings it home. And a swing and a line drive softly hit to left. That'll fall for a base hit in front of Parra. One run will score. Over to third and holding is Estrada. And aboard at first with an RBI single is Austin Slater. And the Giants lead 7-0. And welcome to Nat Chat for Sunday, July 11th, 2021. What is the final day of the pre-All-Star break portion of the Nat season? Mark Zuckerman is off through the All-Star break. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, joined by the producer of the Nats Chat podcast, Tim Shovers, a man who is at Walters right near Nats Park for the Nats prom on Saturday during Nats Giants. And if Saturday's game was a prom for the Nats, the Nats got stood up by their date, a 10-4 loss at San Francisco in game two of a three-game series. Nats now in danger of being swept at the Giants. Nats now 42-46 and on the season. Much more on the game in moments, but Tim... You survived the Nats prom. Congrats to you. Uh, thank you, Al. Yeah, it was, uh, unfortunately for the prom goers, it wasn't the best game, obviously, out in the background, but a lot of good moods still regardless. Some people wearing corsages, prom dresses, people wearing Homestead Grays jerseys and Nats hats. So it was uh, fashion all across the board. It's fashion week in Paris right now. I don't know if you heard, Al, and uh, there was its own version of it at Navy Yard at, at Walters today. I was not aware of Fashion Week. Boy, you, you learn all kinds of things doing this podcast, but that's a great idea by Walters. Very creative. Walters is an awesome spot near Nats Park. We tell you about it all the time, but uh, to everyone who was there and said hi to Tim, we greatly appreciate that. And uh, yeah, man, I think the prom was a lot more exciting than this game on Saturday. A dud for the Nationals in this game, too, at the Giants. Although it's a dud that includes quite the story. Joe Ross's dad apparently saving a woman's life. This was breaking as the game was going on 
A woman at Oracle Park started choking. Someone performed the Heimlich on her. That someone ended up getting a big cheer speaking to reporters. And that someone turned out to be Joe Ross's dad, Willie Ross, who's a doctor. So that's a pretty amazing story. What a job by Joe Ross's dad, Papa Ross, delivering. Unfortunately, the Nats didn't. But that's some job by Willie Ross. And to add to that, I mean, nothing's more important than than what you just said. But Joe Ross could have started today, right? If it weren't for the elbow, it would have been Friday or Saturday. The irony there is a little thick in terms of baseball sense. Yeah, that's an impressive family. The dad's a doctor. He's got two sons who ended up being major league pitchers. Uh, Not bad. That's a family that's done some good work over the years. So it was a rough game for the Nationals. We're going to get to the John Lester situation momentarily. I do want to acknowledge this, though. Another key National now is on the 10-day injured list. And that's on Saturday. Did, in fact, put Jan Gomes on the 10-day IL with an oblique strain. Uh, As you likely know, Jan Gomes getting injured in that game one loss at the Giants on Friday night, the 5-3 loss was an ad starting catcher for the game, ends up leaving the game to begin the bottom of the second. Top of the second, he felt a pinch in his left oblique while swinging and missing. If you watched the game, you saw him like grimacing as he swung and missed. And, you know, he got pulled from the game. I don't think anybody was stunned by that. You know, you always kind of keep your fingers crossed on something like this and say, well, maybe it's not as bad as it looked. But, you know, Jan Gomes is an older player. A lot's been asked of him. He's caught like crazy here lately. He's had very few days off with Alex Avila on the 10-day IL. And the Nats on Saturday put Gomes on the IL, and this was not like some retroactive placement. So he's going to miss at least the early portion of the post-All-Star break portion of the season. So this incredible rut that the Nats are in right now in terms of one guy after another getting hurt. Now, the good news lately has been the Nats have activated some guys, so that's nice. But Jan Gomes is someone who has clearly been the number one catcher. He's hit well, uh, especially lately. And now he's on the IL. Tim, the hits keep on coming here, not in a good way. Yeah, Scherzer said during the Dodgers, sir, that injury rat keeps on biting. And just think, Al, as, as we were watching Jackson Reitz get his first career hit in the ninth inning, just think of the chain reaction that's happened from Trey Turner jamming his middle finger that led to Alex Avila having to start at second base the next night that has now led to the catching situation just before the All-Star break. Obviously, a super bad blow with Gomes, but it's all connected in baseball. And you can see it right there just from one jam middle finger what has ensued for the next week and a half. That's a great point. One thing leads to another. And when one guy gets hurt, it's not just that guy whose absence is felt. It's what that guy's absence means for another guy and what that guy's increased duties mean for another guy. And you get this here. And we've had this year with the Nationals. I don't know that there's a team in the majors that needs the all-star break more than the Nats do, just so guys can rest up, just so this bullpen can rest up, and just so you can go multiple days without having to put someone on the IL. I mean, every day it feels like the Nats are doing something here in terms of a major transaction. Now, like I said, lately, Nats have been activating some guys like Daniel Hudson, so that's been good. But, uh, you know, we thought this might happen when went down on Friday night, Jan Gomes getting injured, him going on the IL. And sure enough, it did happen on Saturday. Now, you referenced Jackson Reitz. That was a feel-good moment from Saturday. There weren't many, but Jackson Reitz makes his major league debut in this game. He has a one-out pinch double in the top of the ninth inning, his uh, first major league plate appearance, in his first major league plate appearance, and he ends up scoring a run in the inning. So, you know, Jackson Reitz, one of these guys who'd been in the minors for a while, good for him to do that. But man, this is some spot the Nats are in. They start on Saturday, Tress Barrera at catcher, and then Jackson Reitz comes off the bench. That's not the way it was supposed to be when we started this season. 
No. Well, actually, though, when we started the season, remember it was Jonathan Lucroy. So uh, it's been quite the catching adventure for the Nationals. I mean, in between, it's been good. But the first series against Atlanta and this last series before the All-Star break against the Giants, it's a total mess at catcher. And uh, Trey Turner is, in my opinion, the most valuable player of the everyday players. But as you and Mark have alluded to all week, Jan Gomes is second place in my mind right now. And it might be a very close second place. So the Nats catch a big break that they're going to have four days off and not have to fill Gomes' spot. I know he's going to miss some of the Padres series, but the least amount of games possible for him to miss is crucial for them. Yeah, hopefully Avila is on the mend, and we'll see what goes down here. But the Nats now in another tied spot at another key position. Jackson Reitz, by the way, third-round pick in the 2014 draft, and he makes his debut here on Saturday. So congrats to him. Always cool to see. Nats Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
Little jam shot right side. That's going to dunk in for a hit right center field. Solano rounding third, headed home. Over to third goes Crawford, as Soto will play it into second. Joey Bart is two for two. He picks up his first RBI in the big leagues this season. And the Giants lead it five to nothing in the third inning. All right, we have delayed the conversation long enough. John Lester got shelled again on Saturday. Eight runs, three earned in two and two-thirds innings. He gave up nine hits, a double and seven singles. He issued two walks. He had just one strikeout. He threw just 46 strikes versus 34 balls on 80 pitches. Now, I want to say a few things. The Nats defense did not help Lester out. Two crucial errors. There certainly was an element of Lester getting babbitt as a number of the hits he gave up were soft contact hits. So yes, there was kind of a Murphy's Law in effect here where it felt like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But to argue anything other than Lester was really bad once again is ridiculous. He was really bad. And the thing with Lester, even when things were going well, was this is not a guy who misses bats. And so when you don't miss bats, you become subjected to the variance of the batted ball. And this happened on Saturday for Lester. And sure enough, he got rocked again. It was not pretty. Three runs allowed in the bottom of the first inning. Five runs allowed in the bottom of the third inning. Now, again, errors in there, so not all the runs end up being earned. But that's not the point, man. It was one hit after another. It was one base runner after another. And some of the things that were given up had nothing to do with bad luck. You know, a one-out five-pitch walk to Wilmer Flores in that three-run bottom of the first. That's not bad luck. You know, that's on you. The leadoff ground rule double to Darren Ruff to right center and that five-run third inning. That's not bad luck. That's on you. One-out six-pitch walk to Wilmer Flores in that third inning. That's not on the defense, okay? That's on you. Here's the big question. Is this John Lester's final start as a national? I think it is, and been preparing for this question really ever since the third inning. And I know it requires Joe Ross coming off the IL, and I know the still Steven Strasburg, when's he coming off? But it just feels like that they have no chance with him on the mound right now. And the last four starts have all been bad. The numbers have cratered. There's no doubt about that. John Lester now, over his last four starts, has allowed 25 runs, 17 earned in 13 and a third innings. I mean, just think about the innings. Last four starts, he has totaled 13 and a third innings. It's non-competitive. Like you just said, it feels like the Nats have no shot. I mean, just to go through these outings real quick, 11-2 loss at Miami, June 25th. Lester, seven runs, two and a third innings. 15-6 win over Tampa Bay, June 30th. Lester, five runs, five innings. 7-5 win at San Diego, July 5th. Five runs, two earned, three into third innings. And now this game on Saturday at the Giants, eight runs, three earned in two and two-thirds innings. None of this has ever been personal with Lester. Everybody likes the guy. Everyone acknowledges he's had a terrific career. Everyone acknowledges he is tough as nails. He's one of the best postseason pitchers of the last, you know, 20 years in Major League Baseball. But he's coming off like someone who's done, who's shot. And if the Nats had more organizational starting pitching depth and truth be told, just more health right now when it comes to starting pitching, I don't know how you could mount the horse of John Lester deserves another shot here. And I really hope the Nats look at this in you know that sort of classic cold-hearted way and not to be mean to Lester, but you know John Lester is not some lifetime national, okay? He was signed to a one-year contract He's on his last legs. You knew that going into the season. Like It's not like John Lester still had another three, four years left. If the Nats feel like the best thing for the organization is to cut ties with this guy, then they should do that. Or if the Nats feel like maybe they just have to come up with some phony baloney injury and put him on the IL, the Nats should do that. The Nats are not beholden to John Lester 
the Nats should not feel an extreme loyalty to John Lester. Now, treat the guy with respect. You don't have to humiliate him or anything like that. But I don't care about his past. I don't care about his last name. You're trying to win this season. And right now, John Lester is not giving you a realistic opportunity to win when he starts. Yeah, I agree with every single word that you said. Just non-competitive. I think that's the word you use, and I would agree with it. Yeah, it's been tough. Now, I mentioned some of the bad luck. There was some bad luck. Like, both things can be true. He didn't pitch well. He's a mess right now. But also, my God, like, what could go wrong did go wrong for John Lester in this start. How about the Tyro Estrada plate appearances and those big innings for the Padres? Again, three-run first, five-run third. Tyro Estrada of the Giants in the three-run first, a two-out RBI single on a swinging bunt on about as meekly hit of a slow-rolling infield single as you'll ever see. I mean, that was incredible. And then the same thing essentially happened in the bottom of the third inning. Tyro Estrada, an RBI single on yet another swinging bunt. Also in that five-run third, you had relatively weakly hit RBI singles from Brandon Crawford and Joey Bart. There were a lot of weird things happening in this game in terms of just balls kind of landing where fielders were not and balls that were not well struck turning into base hits. But again, when you don't miss bats and Lester doesn't miss bats, and when you have diminished velocity as Lester does, you become prey to this. You, you fall victim to this. If you got swing and miss stuff, you're not as worried about, well, what if some guy gets some cheapy hit or something like that? Because you're not giving up as much contact as someone who doesn't miss bats. Lester doesn't miss bats. And so this kind of thing ends up happening. And we saw it happen. I mean, in that five-run third for the 7 nothing Giants lead, Austin Slater had a one-out RBI single. He gets jammed, and he somehow is able to muscle the ball into the outfield. Like, a lot of weird stuff like that happened to Lester on Saturday. But it wasn't good. And I just don't know realistically how you move forward with Lester. And as soon as Ross and or Strasburg is back, we had the conversation not long ago, Paolo Espino, John Lester, who should stay in the rotation. That's not even a conversation at this point, okay? Paolo maybe hasn't been lights out lately, but Lester's time is fading. It's sad. Nobody is celebrating this, but it's not good. You can always email us here at the Nats Chat Podcast. The email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Michael King, who uh, emails me for my podcast all the time, he wrote, wow, can we please end this? See what happens around the break. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can keep trotting Lester out there at this point. It'd be one thing if the Nats were a tanking team. But, you know, this is not an Orioles-Matt Harvey situation, okay, where, like, you're trying to lose, essentially. Nats are trying to win, and uh, Lester's not giving you a shot to do that. And then, Tim, how about the bullpen right now? This is unbelievable. Another game in which the bullpen has leaned on a ton. Davey Martinez actually only uses three relievers, but those guys are asked to eat up a lot of innings. Ryan Harper, Kyle McGowan, Jeffrey Rodriguez combined to allow two runs in five and a third innings. And this marks a third consecutive game in which the Nats starting pitcher doesn't last for at least four innings. Four innings. Three straight games now, one of which was started by Max Scherzer. The Nats starting pitcher hasn't gotten at least four innings. Yeah, Corbin's the only starter on this California road trip that succeeded five innings. He pitched six in San Diego. There's so many things here, Al, uh, in terms of the bullpen. This is the 19th game in 19 days. So obviously you mentioned Murphy's Law earlier. This is just that. I mean, how in games 17, 18, and 19 do you get three straight starts of under four innings? That's an absurd run, especially for a team that usually prides itself on starting pitching. Obviously, tomorrow, the last game, Fetty needs to go five or six desperately, although Brad Hand, as fresh as could be, he, he'll be ready to go if called upon on Sunday. The one thing I did like, Al, was that Jeffrey Rodriguez got used to eat up innings 
being the last guy in the bullpen is a valuable role, especially when you don't have an off day. And you and Mark have been talking about how he hasn't been used. It's been a wasted roster spot. This is the time to use it. So at least he was properly utilized today. And that, to me, in all honesty, was the best part of the day. Well, Rodriguez is the last guy in the bullpen. He's the next to last guy. He's the third to last guy. I mean, you, you know where he stands in, in Davey Martinez's bullpen hierarchy. I mean, Jeffrey Rodriguez has barely been used. And I know he had some problems with walks as his outing went on. But take a look at the box score if you haven't already. Jeffrey Rodriguez in this game had six strikeouts in two and the third innings. Now, he gave up a run, okay? But there's something to Jeffrey Rodriguez He's not the calamity that I feel like Davey feels Rodriguez is. He's not perfect. I'm not telling you that. But he certainly, to me, has warranted being used, maybe not far more, but at least a little more than the mere handful of appearances that Rodriguez has amassed since his contract was selected from AAA Rochester all the way back on June 12th. I mean, this podcast is being taped on Saturday, July 10th. We're essentially a full month into Jeffrey Rodriguez having been at the major league level, and he's barely been used. But when he's pitched, I think he's been okay. I don't think he's been a disaster or anything like that. And I thought this outing on Saturday, again, he gave up the run, but six strikeouts in two and a third innings, that's a great strikeout total. We talk about lack of swing and miss stuff with John Lester. That's some swing and miss stuff, six Ks and two and a third. Ryan Harper did a nice job, two and a third scoreless innings. Kyle McGowan did give up a one-out full count solo home to Brandon Crawford in the bottom of the sixth for a 9 nothing Giants lead. But it's, it's almost not even about who did what. It's just about, again, the bullpen is asked to do way too much. I mean, this bullpen has been way overworked. Way too much is being asked of it. Five and a third innings on Saturday. The good news, and you referenced it, Brad Hand is healthy and fresh. Daniel Hudson, in theory, is fresh. So actually, you are in pretty decent shape from a bullpen perspective for Sunday's game. Fetty's going. You'll have Hudson ready. You'll have Hand ready. And then you got the All-Star break coming up. But This has been some kind of rut the Nats have been in in terms of the starting pitching. And I do wonder, I know teams don't like playing doubleheaders, okay? And I know a lot of people get annoyed with the seven-inning games. But I wonder if the Nats look at this ridiculous run they've been on with zero off days for however long it's been and say to themselves, man, maybe that makeup game against the Mets on the 28th of June, which feels like two years ago now, could we not have done a doubleheader in the second half of the season somewhere, somehow? Like, did we, did we have to play that game? I mean, I don't know if that having that day off would have made any difference, but this has been pretty absurd how the Nats have gone this long without an off day, and they're feeling it. And, of course, it's not just all these days without an off day. It's a trip out west, too. I mean, again, Murphy's Law. Like, so many things have gone against the Nats so far this year, starting with the COVID-19 situation early in the season. And it's been a rough couple of weeks here. Nats are battling, and, you know, they're not getting buried or anything like that. I mean, the record now is down to being four games below 500, which you don't want to see. I do think it's important that the Nats win on Sunday. You don't want to get swept. You don't want to go into the break five games below 500. But it's been a a rocky run here with the injuries and the schedule and the lack of quality starting pitching. Now, with the Nats' offense on Saturday, the Nats seeing Anthony DiSclefani again, and the Nats scoring no runs off Anthony DiSclefani again. Remember, DiSclefani had that complete game shutout a few weeks back. Di Sclafani on Saturday, six scoreless innings, six strikeouts. Nats score four runs in the game, eight hits and a walk, two and nine with runners in scoring position. But the runs were basically meaningless runs. Nats scored three runs in the seventh, a run in the eighth. The game was essentially over in those innings. Rough day for Juan Soto, 0 for 4 with a couple of strikeouts. But how about Alcides Escobar? Now, his day didn't start off so well, that's true. And you know a lot of these hits came when, again, the game was basically lost. But Alcides with a two-run triple and a double. 
He had a two-out, two-run triple in the Nats' three-run ninth inning. He had a two-out double in the top of the ninth inning. It's still, you know, this small sample size of games. He's only been with the team for a week now. I guess, what, a little more than a week. They got him uh, the previous Saturday. But here is your Alcides Escobar slash line, okay? He's, he's been playing every game as a middle infielder. He's been the Nats' uh, leadoff batter here for a good chunk of his time. Batting average at 314, on base percentage at 351, slugging percentage of 457. Tim, I don't think anyone expects this to continue, but Escobar already has given the Nats, I think, a lot more than anyone could have ever realistically hoped for. Definitely. He has admirably served as the leadoff hitter during this California road trip. He's done a good job. See the trust that Davey Martinez has in him. He gave Josh Harrison the day off, which led to Gerardo Parra in the crucial air in the first inning out in left field. He could have easily had Harrison play second base today and given Escobar the day off. So you see the trust that Martinez already has in him. And I know baseball's weird and there's thousands of players, but I can't believe it took him three years to get back in the big leagues. Just a week, he looks like a big leaguer. Is his average going to have a three in front of it two weeks from now? Maybe, probably not. But I just, when I see this, I always get astounded by someone else couldn't have kicked the tires on him, you know? It's so bizarre to me how he's been stuck in either Japan or the minor leagues for three years. Yeah, I mean, he was really bad his last few seasons. I mean, like 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. He had a negative war to the tune of minus 2.2 per baseball reference in 2018. So, I mean, if teams looked at him and said, all right, this guy's shot, this guy's done, I can't really blame them. But there is something to him. He puts balls in play. He can play multiple key positions. And he's on a nice run here. I mean, I give him full credit. And I've mentioned this, but I think it bears worth repeating. The Nationals have this incredible pension for finding guys like this and getting these guys to be productive for them, whether it's as Drupal Cabrera or Gerardo Parra or Josh Harrison, now Alcides Escobar, guys who look done, guys who get discarded by other teams. Those guys get scooped up by the Nats. They come to the Nats and they end up being far more productive than anyone could have ever hoped for. Like I'm talking about guys who get DFA'd and get cut. And the Nats get those guys, and they come to the Nats, and for whatever reason, the Nats get production out of those guys. This is like a new market inefficiency that Mike Rizzo has exploited over the last few seasons, and it's happening again with Alcides Escobar. And even if his numbers go in the tank, and like you know, two weeks from now, he's, he's just horrendous, they got him for cash considerations from the Royals. He's given the Nats exactly what they needed over these last uh, eight games here with what he's done. So a salute to Alcides Escobar. I, I don't think we should take this for granted, the job that he's done here. There was some good news for the Nats on Saturday. Max Scherzer, rightfully, was named to the 2021 National League All-Star team. Major League Baseball on Saturday announcing the selections of 10 players to the active All-Star rosters as replacements for All-Stars unable to participate in Tuesday night's All-Star game. We figured if a National League pitcher couldn't go, Max would be among the first, if not the first guy, to make the team. Uh, So this is certainly justified. Max never should have been left off the team to begin with. But what's, of course, so funny about this, Tim, is that he gets picked for the game off one of the worst outings of his career. So, you know, it'd be one thing of like, well, you know, he just tossed a two-hit shutout. I mean, how could you keep the guy off? No, he just had one of the worst outings of his career, right? Seven runs, three and two-thirds innings, and that 9-8 loss at San Diego on Thursday night. And he gets picked for the All-Star game. I mean, the outing has nothing to do with this, but I just get a kick out of that. And uh, perhaps you saw this, Dave Roberts, who will be, of course, managing the National League team, has said he's actually considering starting Max on Tuesday night for the National League team as kind of an ode to the Nationals, who never got their run here in the 2020 All-Star game in terms of Davey Martinez managing the team and potentially Max Scherzer starting that game. 
I love that if that's the case. If Roberts does that, I think that would be an excellent hat tip. He should have added Martinez to his staff, but whatever, that didn't happen. I think that would be really, really cool, especially because it's not like there's any Colorado pitcher who deserves to be starting. And, uh, you know, Al, one thing you mentioned, the awkward timing of it. Nat's Twitter was kind of funny this morning when the news came out that he had been out of the All-Star game because there was just a lot of, a lot of people didn't really know what to say. There wasn't a lot of jubilation like there would have been a few days ago or if his start in San Diego had ended like we expected it to. So I kind of felt for the Nats fans who were kind of like, eesh. Uh, but hands up in terms of All-Star game, by the way, Al, I'm a huge All-Star game guy. I watch all nine innings and I like sometimes even keep score. It's one of my favorite sporting events of the year. Do you really? Wow. It's, it's, it's the time we all come together and for instance, the All-Star Game is where I found out a few years ago that this guy in Virginia, who I used to watch play alongside Ryan Zimmerman, Sean Doolittle, was an All-Star reliever for the Oakland Athletics. You find out things about ALS teams and AL Central teams, and um, I think it's a fantastic convention of the sport. Uh, I can see the look on your face. I take it you're not in the same boat as me when it comes to All-Star Games. I'm not. I mean, I, I, I'm not like mad at you for feeling that way, and I like the All Star Game as a celebration of the sport. I just I always have a hard time getting into exhibition games. I'm always just kind of like, all right, it's nice, it, it's cool for the sport. When I was a kid, I was really into the All Star Game. In fact, I still have VHS tapes of All Star Games I taped. I have the All Star Game, the '93 one that was at Camden Yards. I think I may have another one as well. Now, I know that there's always that disclaimer, right, that we can't uh, rebroadcast without express written consent. So I don't know if I violated any of those laws. But uh, yeah, like, especially I think when you're becoming a fan of the game, it's a really cool deal. But more power to you, man. Look, however you enjoy baseball, I I will never uh, shun the ways, the many ways to enjoy the sport. And I get a kick out of this. The Nats are four games below 500, and they have four All-Stars. I'd like to know in the history of the sport, how often does that happen, that a team has been four games below 500 and yet has four All-Stars, that, that seems like that's pretty unique. They have an offense that basically for half the season hasn't done a thing where they got three All-Stars, yeah. and then they have a starting staff that can't go five innings that's going to be represented in starting the All-Star game in the first inning. So it's been a heck of a herky-jerky year for the Nats so far. It has, and, and you know what? In, in some ways, what we just outlined, I think is so appropriate because it's been that way for the Nationals so far this year. There's a lot about this season that doesn't make sense. And if you're a Nationals fan, you can very much argue that the Nats are a good team. But if you're a Nats fan, you could also argue the polar opposite of that and say, you know, this team isn't that good. Like this game on Saturday kind of makes you rethink things, right? We're like, well, man, the Nats had been going well, but now they've lost three straight and they, you know, they still have all these injury issues. And I don't know, are they really that good? And you can argue both ways. We don't know. I don't think the Nats know. I think if you inject Mike Rizzo with truth serum right now, I don't think he knows whether his team is truly good. I don't think the Nats are like terrible. I think we know that much at this point. But are they good enough to be great? Are they good enough to make the postseason? We don't know. We're still trying to figure that out here. This is a crucial stretch for the Nats over the next three weeks as the trade deadline approaches on July 30th. Uh, Game three at the Giants, Sunday afternoon at 4.05. Eric Fetty versus Kevin Gaussman. Gaussman is having some year, 17 starts, an ERA of 174. I tell you, watching the Giants, you do appreciate them, and you do understand why the Giants have the best record in Major League Baseball. A lineup that isn't overly imposing, but that puts the ball in play a ton The Giants have a team that pitches really well. I know that Oracle Park is a notorious pitcher's park, but still, this is a pitching staff that can go, and Gaussman has been exceptional so far this year. Going to be interesting what we get here from Fetty 
on Sunday. So this will be his second start since coming off the 10-day injured list. He was on that from June 27th, retroactive to the 24th until July 6th with the left oblique strain. We saw Fetty in the 7-4 loss at San Diego last Tuesday night. I thought it was better than his final line indicated, but I mean, it's not like he was great. Six runs in four into third innings. Like we said, bullpen is, because this is the last game before the All-Star game, I mean, you can kind of max out here. So, you know, Hand is good to go. Hudson is good to go. You could probably lean on somebody. You know, Sam Clay didn't pitch on Saturday if you want to close your eyes and, and put him in the game again. But, man, can we please get more than four innings, okay? Can the Nat starting pitcher please go more than four innings on Sunday? Especially Fetty, because I think overall it's been a nice first half of the season for him. You'd like to see him end it on a high note. You'd like to go into the post-All-Star break portion of the season feeling like, all right, you know what, Fetty, we may not have certainty with other guys in the rotation, but we, we feel more and more like Fetty is someone we can rely on here. Yeah, if Fetty pitches well on Sunday, you know, maybe he gets the start on Saturday against San Diego when David Martinez has a chance to reshuffle his rotation, assuming Scherzer starts on Friday. Another thing with that, you talked about, can we get more than four innings? I do wonder if Patrick Corbin will be available for an inning out of the bullpen tomorrow. He'll be on three days rest. He's not starting until presumably either against San Diego or Miami after the break. I think it was 2017 where Dusty Baker used Tanner Roark in the final inning of the final game before the All-Star break. Uh, I might be getting my years mixed up. But I do hope that Davey shows a little bit of flexibility with the staff tomorrow because they do have four straight off days coming up. That's a good point. And obviously we saw Davey use Corbin out of the bullpen in the 2019 postseason, so it's not without precedent. Uh, that's, that's a good point. Maybe maybe that is something we do end up seeing. You can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast. We heard from our friend Michael. The email address, again, Podcast at gmail.com. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm, and big league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit bigtrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. Just reference the trade deadline. Aaron Sharp in Richmond wrote us. He says, I want to know if there's more you guys know about whether the Nats and Rizzo are going to be serious buyers at the deadline. The winner of this division may come down to the best moves an NL East general manager makes in the coming weeks, knowing that the Mets' new ownership has much deeper pockets and will most likely look to add more. What can slash should the Nats do to catch up to them? Upgrades to the bullpen third and second seem obvious. Would love to hear what you all think. You know, the longer we go here, the more I think the Nats are not going to be sellers, okay? Like, they, they really would have to crater over the next few weeks to be in a position to where it's undeniable that they're going to be sellers. First of all, I, I don't think the Nats have ever truly been on board with being sellers this season. I think they were going to have to be in a really bad way to end up selling hard come that trade deadline. I don't think they're going to be in that bad of a way. We saw them, of course, play well for a few weeks. Things have kind of gotten a little sketchy here lately, but I, I don't see the Nats like totally falling off the cliff as we approach July 30th. So I, I think if anything, they'll be buyers. But the problem is this. The state of the Nats farm system isn't good. If you're Mike Rizzo, do you want to further deplete the farm system to add pieces to a team that, again, is maybe okay, but isn't really that good? This is always my concern, Tim, with the Nats coming into the season, that this was like a low 80s team. You know, so like a team, my preseason prediction was 83 wins. So it's like you're in that middle ground of you're good enough to not be bad, but you're not good enough to do anything great. 
And when you're in that middle ground, it's one of the toughest spots to be in, and not just baseball, but in all of sports. And if you're Mike Rizzo, do you want to further deplete your already barren farm system to add to a team that maybe ends up winning, I don't know, 86 games instead of 83 with whatever trade deadline moves you make? Like, okay, what does that really do? Like, what you want to do is get your team to 90 wins, 92 wins. I don't know that there's anything that that's realistically can do to get to that level come the trade deadline. So it's a tricky spot that Mike Rizzo is going to be in with this deadline. He's in a really tricky spot. I think a lot of it depends on Steven Strasburg and his status over the next few weeks. If he's back before the trade deadline, then you find out, okay, we got two months to go. We got Strasburg back, presumably Joe Ross coming off the aisle with this elbow. If the pitching can straighten itself out, we have the horses that can get there because, as I look at the NL East, you're a Jacob DeGrom shoulder injury away from this being a wide-open race. You know, if something were to happen to him and he's clearly the, the NL Cy Young front runner, because otherwise with Atlanta and Philly, it's a bunch of the, you know similar teams on top of each other. And oh, by the way, Ronald Acuna Jr. got hurt today. So we have no idea the severity of that injury. And if Acuna's hurt, I really can't see Atlanta making a run. So yes, Mike Rizzo would be put in a tough spot, but the market can get flooded, especially as you have so many bad teams, you know, Arizona and Baltimore and Detroit, et cetera that you might be able to sneak in a good player who could help out for a non-elite prospect. You know, I, and, I, and I trust Rizzo to be able to figure out who that prospect is to not give up too much. But in return, maybe you get a Howie Kendrick type player. Yeah, and you mentioned Strasburg. I think you can look at things this way. Strasburg, Kyle Schwerber, if each guy comes back, let's say by the time you get to August, and each guy is what he can be, That's almost like adding two major pieces at the trade deadline. And if you get that kind of a boon, Strasburg is back and rolling, Schwarber is back and rolling. And and those are two big ifs, I'll grant you. But those are two acquisitions, quote unquote, that are going to do more for you than any trade acquisitions you make probably ever will. That's kind of something to be thinking about of if the Nats can just kind of stay afloat, you know, stay around 500, maybe get to a game or two above that. And then Strasburg comes back, Schwerber comes back. You mentioned Joe Ross. All of a sudden here, you know, especially if Acuna's hurt, you know, you got some other ailments that other teams are dealing with in the division. Nats might be in a good position here to make a run at the postseason. We'll see. But Strasburg especially, that just feels like the wild card. And the Nats, you know, it's a credit to them in some ways. They've gotten basically nothing out of him this year. And yet still the Nats are where they are. Also, I want to mention our guy, Joel Charney. He emailed us that, the former Nats GM Jim Bowden writing for The Athletic was was giving trade advice to Mike Rizzo. The irony of that one. Yes, Joel, uh, excellent insight from you. Uh, you tell us what you think. Again, Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Pod. Uh, you can also always tweet us as well at Nats underscore chat. You can get your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt, also your t-shirt for The Secret Weapon by going to Nats Chat Podcast dot square dot site all nationals radio highlights on that chat are courtesy of 1067 the fan for tim shovers i'm al galdi we'll talk to you next time on the nats chat podcast now the pitch swung online drive base hit into right center field and it's rolling in the gap toward triples alley cut off by duggar the center fielder and reach pulling into second base with a line drive double into right center field get him that baseball smile on his face On his second pitch of the major leagues, he has doubled to right center field.